Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture, the book of John, John chapter 19, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, John 19, and then 1 Corinthians 1. Keith and Kristen Getty are modern-day songwriters, and, and several years ago, they wrote a modern hymn called The Power of the Cross. I, I want you to listen to the words to that song. It says, oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed crowning your blood-stained brow. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath. Quake says its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the victory cry. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering. I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame. Bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, the power of the cross. Without the cross, there would be no Christ. Without the cross, there would be no Christmas. Without the cross, there would be no Christianity. Because without the cross, you and I would still be enslaved to sin and we would have no hope of ever being set free. If your Bibles are open, I want you to listen to, to what it says in John 19... Verses 16 through 19. Listen to it. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others. One on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I want us to look at one verse. The Apostle Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. The two ordinances of the church, both 
go back to the cross, reminding us of what Jesus did. Baptism, as I said, reminds us that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. Every time a person is baptized, we have a visual picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Almost every week we baptize here at Northside. Next week we hope to baptize many people on Easter. And and if you're here and, and you have trusted Jesus to forgive your sins, you have confessed him as the Lord of your life, and you've never been baptized as a believer, I want to encourage you next week to celebrate Easter by making your public profession of faith because that's what baptism is. But the second ordinance of the church is communion. And when we celebrate communion, we're reminded of what Jesus went through when he suffered on the cross. We're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us. He was brutally beaten. We are reminded that his blood was poured out for us. And so this morning, as we celebrate communion, we need to remember what Jesus went through on the cross. And so for the next few minutes, what I want us to do is I want us to focus our attention on three aspects of the cross. Because I believe with all my heart, what we oftentimes do is we come to a message on the cross and we come to Easter time and we forget the agony and the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. So three things I want us to see. First of all, the agony of the cross. And the fact of the matter is, most of us really don't have an understanding of what Jesus went through on that cross. Probably everyone in here has seen movies about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But until the passion of Christ, there was never a movie written, there was never a movie seen that even came close to attempting to display the agony that Jesus went through. And the fact of the matter is, even the passion of the Christ, which was a brutal movie, could not adequately describe what Jesus went through. We are told during those last 18 hours of his life, he was betrayed, he was denied, he was spit on, he was beaten with fists, he was slapped, he was mocked, he was flogged, he was beaten with rods, he was taunted, he was marched through the city streets half naked, and then he was crucified between two thieves. The agony that Jesus experienced was more intense than any man had ever experienced before. And it is more intense than any man has ever experienced since. Jesus experienced physical agony. The fact of the matter is the crucifixion was one of the most horrifying forms of execution ever devised by man. Cicero, the, the Roman philosopher, said this. He said, crucifixion is the most cruel and shameful forms of punishment, a horrifying death. In describing the brutality of the death Jesus would die, Isaiah the prophet said his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond that of human likeness. In other words, Isaiah was saying that in that short period, Jesus was 
inflicted so much pain and so much suffering that to look at him, you would hardly even recognize that he was a human being. They beat him. They mocked him. They put that crown of thorns on his head, and then they flogged him. Jewish law specified that a person could only be flogged 49 times, save one. Because they believed that anything more than that could kill a person. But Jesus didn't experience a Jewish flogging. Jesus experienced a Roman flogging. And in a Roman flogging, the Roman soldiers could beat you as many times as they wanted. And oftentimes, people died during the flogging. They would use a whip that was called a cat of nine tails. It, it was a short, circular piece of wood. And, and, and um, put into that short piece of wood were nine different strips of leather and attached to the end of each were chunks of bone and pieces of iron sewn in to the leather. And with every single blow that went across Jesus' body, his skin would peel off like paper. Dr. Truman Davis, who was a medical doctor, said the cuts would go deeper and deeper until arteries would spurt blood and flesh hung like long ribbons. Eusebius, who was a third century historian, said this about crucifixion. He said the very muscles, the sinews, and the bowels were open to exposure. And the guards could beat the prisoners anywhere, not just on the back. The, the whip would go to their stomach. It would go across their legs, across their backside. It would go everywhere. And the Bible says that after they beat him like that, they put that crown of thorns on his head. And, and thrust is really a better word. Most people tell us that those, those thorns were most likely one inch long. And as it was thrusted on Jesus' head, those thorns would have gone through the flesh and through the skin and, and made its way through the scalp down to the skull. Can you imagine how that hurt? Matthew's gospel tells us that after they did that, they beat him again with rods. After they had their fun beating Jesus, they, they put the beam of the cross on Jesus' already torn shoulders. And they led him through the streets of, up to Golgotha. The cross beam, most historians tell us, probably weighed about 100 pounds. And he had to carry that cross beam through the city, up the hill, to the place that he was going to be crucified. You can imagine that the, the wood of, of that cross beam would, would just rip into his already torn shoulders. As he was walking through the city streets, the blood would have been pouring from his body and his strength would be weakening with every single step. When they got to the top of the hill, they, they laid him on the cross and they stretched out one arm first of all as far as it could go and they, they put the nail in his wrist. And then they would take a rope and they would pull out the other arm as far as it could go, most often dislocating the shoulder. And when they got the arm out as far as it could go, then they would nail the other wrist to the cross. When the person was on the cross like that, they would, they would hang there 
And, and they would, they would own the cross like that, but, but as they were hanging there, there, and they were trying to breathe, their, their chest muscles would begin to paralyze. And, and they would not be able to breathe. They could breathe in, but they couldn't breathe out. And, and, and if they were just hanging on the cross that way, they would die in a short amount of time by suffocation, but the Romans didn't want them to die quickly. And so what they did is they, they nailed their feet onto a step, a, a board on the cross with their knees bent. And the, the, the feet were nailed to the cross, and, and they were on the cross like this with their, with their knees bent. And, and they would sit there in agony and pain until they could not breathe. And then they could pick themselves up. So that they could breathe. And, and then the pain in the feet would get so excruciating that they would have to go back down. And then when they couldn't breathe anymore, they would pick themselves back up. And literally sometimes for days, the people that were crucified, hanging on the cross, would, would be on that cross and they couldn't breathe. And they would pick themselves up. And when the pain got excruciating, they would go down and they would begin to suffocate. And then they would pick themselves back up. And for hours and hours and hours, they went through that excruciating pain. And that's what Jesus went through. The death on the cross would be a, a slow up and down death until, until they finally died. That's what Jesus went through publicly for us, his physical agony. But then there is the emotional agony. Can you imagine being led through those streets that you walked down many times? You had healed the sick, you had given sight to the blind, you had caused the deaf to be able to see. You had taught eternal truths on those streets. And now the, the very people that you had healed, the very people you had ministered to, the very people you had taught, they're now laughing at you, mocking you. Spitting on you. Can you imagine what it was like to, to be left all alone, deserted by your most loyal followers? Can you imagine what it must have been like to, to walk past one of your closest friends realizing that he had denied even knowing you three times? The emotional agony. But I want you to understand that the physical and the emotional agony that Jesus went through were nothing compared to the spiritual agony. We're told on the cross that Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. In 2 Corinthians 5.22 it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God was, in Jesus, was perfect. Jesus had, had never sinned, and yet on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus took the guilt and the shame and the agony and the punishment that comes from sin upon himself. Somehow, some 
way that I, I don't really understand. On the cross, my sins and, and your sins and the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, were, were transferred to him. And, and Jesus became our sin bearer. Our sins were placed on him. But I want you to notice something. Because of that sin, the sin that was placed on Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus experienced separation from the Father. In Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, it says this, and it says this in all of the Gospels, but it says from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, darkness covered the land. At about 3, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to first notice for three hours it says darkness covered the land. Why? Well, here's what I believe. I believe the reason that darkness covered the land is because the sin of all human history was converging at one spot on one person. All the sin of all eternity was being poured on Jesus. The darkness of that sin covered the land. And at the end of that three-hour period, as Jesus was, was taking the sin of the world upon himself, he cried out, My God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't know how. And it doesn't really matter, but, but in some way, the Bible indicates that the eternal fellowship that the Father had with the Son for all, all eternity was broken for that three-hour period as Jesus took our shame and our penalty upon himself. And during that time, he knew what it was like to be hopelessly separated from the Father. The sin being poured on him and, and that separation from the Father literally broke his heart. Later on when he cried out and, and he gave up his spirit and, and they thrust a spear into his side to make sure he was dead, we are told that that from that wound poured out water and blood. Medical doctors tell us that when that happens, when the, when the heart is ruptured, it, it literally pours out water and blood. And, and most people say that what happened is that when Jesus was on the cross, when he was taking all of that sin upon himself, his heart literally ruptured. It exploded in agony. The agony of the cross, physical agony, emotional agony, spiritual agony. But next, I want you to see the accomplishment on the cross. In John 19, verse 30, it says this. When, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, there are a different, number of different words used to describe what, what Jesus did on that cross. We are told that, that he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
We are told that he justified us before God. We are told that he redeemed us. He reconciled us to God. But I like what it says in in John 30, or John 19, verse 30, when he breathed that last breath, I believe, he looked up to heaven and he said, it is finished. Now, Now, this wasn't a cry of defeat. It wasn't Jesus giving up his life. When Jesus looked up to heaven and cried out, it is finished. It was a cry of victory. Have have you ever had the privilege of making the final payment on a debt? Have you ever had that privilege? And you know, some of our debts are short and it's not a big deal. But if you own a home... Or you one day look forward to owning a home because right now you don't own it, the bank does. You look forward to that day when you write that check for that final payment. The word, it is finished, to telestai, is a word that was used to describe final payment. It was a paymaster's term to describe that the debt had been paid. When Jesus was on that cross and and he looked up to heaven before he breathed his last breath, what Jesus was saying is this, the debt has been paid. The final payment is made. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, it says this, with his blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. You see, the blood of animals that was sacrificed year after year could cover our sins. That's what happened when sacrifices were made. It would cover our sins, but it wouldn't take them away. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was the Lamb of God who took Away our sin debt forever. In Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But praise God our debt has been paid in full through Jesus Christ. The accomplishment on the cross. Jesus paid your sin debt. Jesus paid your sin debt. Jesus paid my sin debt in full. But the final thing I want you to see here is this. And that is the affirmation of the cross. I mean, when we look at the cross, the cross shouts two eternal truths that that we can never get away from. First of all, God hates sin and he must punish it. God hates sin. God will punish sin. Sin, he already has. You see, God cannot overlook sin. He cannot ignore sin because sin is rebellion. Sin is treason against our loving creator. Sin is our rejecting God's rightful rule in our lives. And it is so horrifying to think of the fact that that we have committed treason against our creator that the only payment... For our treason is death. 
And Jesus came to pay that debt. Jesus came to absorb the wrath of God. And, and a lot of us don't like to hear that word, the wrath of God, that phrase. But, but God is angry at sin. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The cross reveals God hates sin, but the cross also reveals God loves sinners, and he loves sinners so much that he's provided payment for sin. John three sixteen, a verse that probably every one of us are familiar with says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, experience the wrath of God, but have eternal life. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That boggles my mind. God loves us while we were his enemies, standing against him, living in rebellion toward him. God didn't say, straighten up your life, come back to me, and then I will love you. No, God made the first move, and boy, was it a first move. When Jesus died on the cross. You see, we don't have to wonder whether God loves us. We don't have to wonder how much God loves us. He showed us. Through what he did on the cross. Robert Coleman wrote a book entitled Written in Blood. And in that book he tells a story about a little boy who had a sister that needed a blood transfusion. And the doctor explained that, that the little boy's sister had the same disease that the boy had. And recovered from two years earlier. And the doctor said the only way that your, your, daughter, your sister can make it is to have... The blood of someone who has already overcome this disease. And the doctor tried to explain the transfusion to him and, and ask, are you willing to have this transfusion? And, and the little boy, Johnny, his lower lip started to quiver. And then with a smile on his face, he said, I'll do it. And so they prepared Johnny and they prepared his sister Mary for the blood transfusion and and they put them in the room. They had everything hooked up. And, and Johnny looked at his little sister Mary and he grinned. Until he looked down and he saw the blood coming from his arm. When they got through with the blood transfusion, Johnny looked at the doctor and said, when am I going to die? You see, Johnny thought that, that when he was giving his blood... He was given his life. He didn't realize that he could give his blood and yet he could still live. What you need to understand is when Jesus gave his blood, he gave his life. He died an, died an agonizing death so that you and I can have eternal life. And so my question for you this morning before we go any further is, do you understand that? Have you experienced that? Has the power of the cross changed your life? 
You see, there is a difference between knowing what Jesus did intellectually and experiencing what Jesus did personally. You can know what Jesus went through and it never changed anything about you. But when his death becomes real to you, It changes everything about you. The power of the cross. So has the cross changed your life? Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that your encounter with the crucified, resurrected Jesus has changed everything about you? Or if you were honest, would you have to say, you know... I may have prayed a prayer when I was younger. I may have gotten dunked in the water at some time. I may believe these facts up here, but there's nothing in my life that really shows that Jesus has changed me. And the power of the cross, it will change you. I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes, and with your head bowed, and with your eyes closed, I would be amiss today if as we focus on the cross, I didn't give you an opportunity to receive the forgiveness that is available through the cross. And so if you're here and, and Jesus has never changed your life, you cannot say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am different because of Jesus I'm going to heaven because Jesus has saved me. He's redeemed me. He's changed me. He's made me a new person. If you can't say that, and today, through the power of His Holy Spirit, you are ready to repent of your sins and place your faith in Him and surrender your life to Him. If you're ready to do that, then I invite you this morning to pray this prayer with a sincere and broken heart to God. You can follow along with me right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning knowing that I am a sinner. Knowing that my best efforts will never be good enough. I know that I have rebelled against your authority. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live under sin anymore. I know you love me. You died on the cross to pay for my sins. You died so that I could be set free. Today I'm trusting you to save me. I believe you rose from the grave. You defeated sin. And you have the power to change my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.